All right, good singing this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 2 through 4 and then get right into the message this morning. So let's all stand together. And if your neighbor does not have a Bible this morning, please let, allow them to look on with you so that we can be on the, the same page together. Second Peter chapter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our, our Lord, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you this morning for what we've been reminded of, of the wonderful grace that you gave to us the day that we trusted you as Savior. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, we got saving grace that day. We've had living grace ever since. And as the choir said, we're surrounded by that grace of God. I thank you for that. What a blessing. What a, what a thrill it is to realize that you care enough for us as individuals to surround us by your grace. Uh, Father, thank you for the power that we have on a day-by-day basis to live for you. Most of all, thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Pray, pray, Lord, as as we take a look at some verses this morning and some passages that deal with the promises of God, that you'd help us to realize just how privileged a people we are. Uh, Lord, uh, we've got a God in heaven who loves us and cares for us and has surrounded us not only by grace, but surrounded us by promise after promise after promise that you'll take care of us and you'll keep us. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, we, we come to you this morning with open hearts. And we ask, Father, that as you speak to us, we'll respond to you. And be careful to thank you, give you praise and the honor and glory that you so richly deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a a particular phrase that I want you to to kind of hone in on with me this morning in verse 4. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. What what is it? uh, What is a promise? God says that he's he's given us promises and he's given us great and, and precious ones exceeding great and precious ones. What is a promise? Promise is the declaration or assurance which God has given in his word of bestowing blessings on his people. A promise is a a statement that God makes assuring us that he will or will not perform a specific act uh, for us, for us or to us or with us. Um, We, you know, in reality, you know, we talk about uh, you know, we need to have assurance of his promises. I don't know if that's true. Uh, when you consider the God that the promises come from, you really don't need assurance of his promises because his promises are based upon his character, and his character is pure. 
His character is holy. His character is sinless. And God is as good as His Word. You know, the Bible says that God cannot lie. So when He makes a promise, man, you can, you can absolutely count on it. Because His Word is always true and His Word is always sure. Now, when it comes to promises, in the Scriptures there's two kinds. There are conditional promises and there are unconditional promises. A, a conditional promise basically is, if we, then He. An unconditional promise is, He's going to do it regardless, because He's promised to do it, and He is God, and it has nothing to do with what we do or do not do. Let me give you some examples of conditional and unconditional promises. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, I, I, I call the, the blessing-cursing uh, chapter in the Bible. And it's, it's just before God leads His people into the promised land, and he's, he's giving them warnings, really. He's letting them know about some promises, about some blessings that are, that are waiting for them, but He's warning them as well. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verses 1 and 2, it says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt Hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. You notice, I love that wording where it says, shall come on thee and overtake thee. You'll be overtaken with blessings. And, and he goes on from there and begins to expound upon how they'll be blessed. And, uh, and he, just, he just gives blessing after blessing after blessing. But notice the condition. The condition is, it shall come to pass if... Thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God. In other words, if you do what He tells you to do, if you listen to Him, if you'll obey Him, then there's going to be blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. However, go, go to verse 15. When He gets done with giving all of the blessings, verse 15 He says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtaken thee. And then he just gives curse after curse after curse after curse. Now this is a conditional promise. He says, if you hearken, you'll be blessed. And if you don't hearken, you won't be blessed. And, and, when, and you take a look at the, at the history of Israel, and as Israel obeyed God, God poured out the blessings. I mean, just poured them out, blessing after blessing. But when they ceased to hearken and they turned their back on their God, then God began to pour out the curses upon, upon Israel as well. So this is a conditional, conditional blessing. If, if you hearken, you'll be blessed. Then go with me to Proverbs chapter 22. There's been a lot of discussion and a lot of 
debate about what the verse that I'm about to, to read to you uh, really, really means. And I think it's pretty simple, particularly when you, when you realize that it's located uh, in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is a book of, of uh, cause and effect. Uh, it is a book, it is really a book of promises. And, uh, and it's, but it's also a book of character, promises about character particularly. And uh, if you look with me in Proverbs 22, look down in verse 6. Verse tw- chapter 22, and I'm in chapter 6, so that's not going to work. 622 isn't going to work. I had to do 22.6. Let me catch up with the rest of you here. 22 verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what that just simply means is, if you train the child properly, he will follow that training. That's a promise. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that you, you, you uh, tell your kid to do, that he's going to necessarily do it. That, that's not a promise. I don't believe it's a promise for salvation. But what it is a promise is a promise for character. It's, it, it basically, it says if you, if you aim a child in a particular direction, that's the direction that he'll take. And you go over to the book of Psalms and you find that reiterated when, when uh, God says that, that uh, children are, are like uh, arrows in the hand of a mighty hunter. Well, well, what do you do with arrows? You put them in the bow, you pull back, and you aim. And where you, where you aim it, that's where it goes. If, it, if you're aiming like this, that's what the arrow's going to do, okay? Uh, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Uh, we, need to, we need to do our part in training the children with proper character. And if you train them with that proper character, it'll be instilled with, in, into them uh, for the rest of their life. And again... You can't go down and, and go to specifics and say, well, therefore, uh, if, if they ever make a bad decision, it's the parent's fault. I've heard that reasoning, and I'm sorry I don't buy it. I just don't buy it because there's individual responsibility there. But when it comes to character, uh, there's a promise. And it, and it says if you'll instill that character in the child, it will be there and it will follow them the rest of their days. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, just back up a little bit. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, this again is another conditional promise. It says, if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, and if we don't lean on our, all, on our own understanding, and in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will direct your path. So the, op- uh, the, uh, the obvious opposite is, is if you do not trust in the Lord and do not acknowledge him, then he won't direct your path as you'd like to see him do. But if you do, he will, because that's a conditional promise. Here's an unconditional one. Go to, go to John chapter 14. John 14. This one's unconditional. John chapter 14. Look at verses 1 through 3. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and this is just shortly before 
he goes to the cross. And you find that uh, many of the chapters that precede that, he's really trying to be an assurance and a blessing and a help and a comfort to them and trying to prepare them for the cross. Verses 1 through through 3, he says, Let not your heart heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now these, these promises are, are made to people that have trusted Christ as Savior, made to believers, and it's unconditional. If you're saved, God is preparing a place for you. If you are saved, He will receive you unto Himself someday. Regardless of what you do between now and death or now and the rapture, uh, God will receive you unto himself, and you will go to heaven to be with him for all eternity. And all God's people said. That's a good unconditional promise, isn't it? Uh, Look with me in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And in Hebrews 13, I think this is brought up in Sunday school this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, look down at verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now again, this is given to those that are believers in Christ, those that have trusted him as their Savior. But he said, that, he said, there's one thing that you can count on. He said, don't be covetous because you've got the greatest thing you could ever have. You have my presence no matter what. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We talked about this in Sunday school. There have been times when you have turned your back on God. There are times when you have ceased to acknowledge Him. There are times in your life since you've been saved that uh, you have, have, have not paid attention to Him and you've walked away. Uh, I can remember shortly after I got saved, I started to begin to realize, oh, wait a minute, there's more to this Christian life than what I thought. And, uh, and, and, and I realized, oh, whoa, wait a minute, uh, yeah, I'm saved, and I'm saved by grace, but now God expects me to do some things because I am His. And uh, I remember saying this to God. I don't remember if I said it out loud or not, but it, it sure seemed like I did. If I didn't say it out loud, I said it out loud in my heart. If I didn't say it out loud with my lips. And I said, Lord, thank you for saving me. I'm glad you forgave me all my sins. And I, and I knew that. And I said, I said uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad that my sins are all forgiven and I've got a home in heaven. But Lord, uh, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. Thank you for saving me. And I walked away. Now, I wouldn't recommend you do that, okay? I really wouldn't. That's not a wise thing to do. That can be a very dangerous thing to do for a child of God. But uh, God was gracious. And through that whole, whole time, it was about six months after I, after I made that declaration to God. And, uh, you know, even though I turned my back on him, he absolutely never, he never turned his back on me, and he did not leave me alone. I, I look back at that, that time, and I'm amazed. Um, you know, I didn't have anybody in church come and follow me up. 
I didn't have anybody tell me that I needed to, to, to go back to church and I needed to go back to God. And I never had anybody tell me. But I had the Spirit of God on the inside and He never left and He stayed right there and, and He bugged the fire out of me. And so, you know, praise the Lord for that promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And if you're saved, that's unconditional regardless of what you do. Philippians chapter 4. Go to Philippians 4. I like this one. This is a blessing. And we claim this often. Sometimes we claim it righteously, sometimes uh, unrighteously. Sometimes we, we, we claim it wrongly. Philippians chapter 4, look in verse 19. It says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, normally, you know, we look, I, I know there's a lot of people that look at that verse and say, Well, that's an unconditional promise. No, it's not. No, it's not, because you need to look at the surrounding verses. It says uh, in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that might abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a, sm of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but because you have given to my needs and you've given to the needs of others, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is not an unconditional promise. That is a conditional promise. If you'll be gracious and merciful to, to others, God will be gracious and merciful to you. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now this is, another, this is another one of those conditional promises. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 9. It says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now it's a promise. It's a promise that you can have salvation, but it's conditional. And it says the condition is you've got to believe in your heart and you've got to confess it with your mouth. And if you believe it with your heart and you confess it with your mouth, the Bible says you can be saved. Look down at verse 13. And I love verse 13. It was the verse that, uh, that uh, Pastor Mullen, the, the night that he led me to Christ, put that verse on, a, on the front of a gospel track. And uh, uh, I, I remember going home and looking up that verse afterwards and being reassured of the salvation that Christ had given me. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now the condition is you've got to call. You've got to believe in your heart. You've got to call upon Him. And when you do that, God makes a promise. He says every time somebody does that, He will save them. He will save them. And He does that every single time. That's, but that's conditional. Go with me to one more. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And this isn't even in my notes, and so this is extra. But we, today, we're not charging for the extra stuff, okay? Uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing. Now, he's talking to saved people. He's talking to believers. Being confident of this very thing, that he, speaking of God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. You know what that verse means? You are secure in Christ, period. It makes no difference what you do or don't do, what you think or don't think, what you say or don't say. It's, he, said, he said he's confident that, God, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. What does it depend upon? It doesn't depend upon your character. It depends upon his character. It doesn't depend upon your reliability. It depends upon his reliability, and therefore it's an unconditional promise. Now, we can depend upon his promises because of his character. What, what does the Bible say about our Savior? It says that he's faithful. He never, ever changes. He never changes. In James chapter 1, and verse 17, it says, With whom, speaking of God, it says, With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't vary. He doesn't, uh, he, he's not fickle. He doesn't say one thing and do another. He doesn't make a promise and then welch on that promise later on. Uh, there is no variableness in him. There is no shadow of turning. And that's what the verse over in the book of Hebrews is speaking of when it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that does not mean that he does everything the same way in all ages and all dispensations. That's not true. But it does mean that he does not change the same character that he had in the Old Testament he's got in the New Testament. The same character that he had back 2,000 years ago he's got today. And uh, the same God that uh, saved you is the same God who will keep you, and he absolutely never changes. And not only does he never change, but he's, he's always truthful. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, a person, you know, we, we say this, we have this saying, a man is only as good as his word. A woman is only as good as her word. Uh, a person is only as good as their word. That's true. But, you know, God is always good. And God is always true. And God is always right. And God never changes. So you can absolutely, completely depend upon his promises. His promises are always true, not because of the promise, but because of the one who made the promise, who is, which is the Lord. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. It says God cannot lie. He can't lie. So if he makes a promise to you, it's going to come true. Why, why does God make promises to us? Why is it that, that, that God makes these promises. Well, first of all, he does it to, to reveal his character. Uh, he is trustworthy. And so that we might be partakers uh, of his divine nature, the Bible says, in the verse that we read in, in the very beginning in Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, he's, he's trustworthy. And he wants us to trust in him. He wants us to realize that when he says he'll do something for it, for us, he'll do those things, and we can come to him with needs and with, with desires, with wants, and with, our, with our, uh, the cares of our hearts. Another, another uh, reason why he makes promises is to cause our faith to grow. The truth is, is the more you see God's promises come true in your life, 
the more you grow in Jesus Christ. Uh, it, you know, I, I made this, this comment, I think, last week or the week before, that every time you, you claim a promise in God's Word, and God comes through with that promise, and you see Him come through with that promise, you can take that thing and you can put that in your little treasure chest of promises, and you can be reminded over and over and over again afterwards that God is as good as His Word. Because there's going to come a time later on down the road that's going to be even more difficult than the time you just went through. And it's going to have even more obstacles than you had the time before. But it's good to know that even in the middle of all that stuff, you've got a God who has made promises, who has come through, and you know if He did it before, He's going to do it again because He hasn't changed. Isn't that good? That's a blessing. And, and that causes your faith in Him to grow, and you trust Him more. And the other reason why He, he uh, gives us promises is to fulfill our needs and to help us. Bottom line is, and believe me, what I'm about to say, I do not, I do not claim to understand. God cares for you and me. I don't understand that. I really don't. You say, oh, what do you mean you don't understand it? He's God. Exactly. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He never changes. Why in the world he would care for a sinner like me, I'll, I'll never figure out. I mean, that, that is love to the extreme. I have disappointed him over and over again. I, before I got saved, I used his name in terrible, terrible ways. And yet he still saved my soul. He still gave me eternal life. He's, he still promised to never leave me and never forsake me. And uh, God enjoys blessing his people. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. God, God enjoys fulfilling promises. He enjoys meeting our needs. Matthew chapter 7, verses, verses 7 through 11 Jesus illustrates this point. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I've always enjoyed that because it says, Ask, seek, and knock. Ask starts with an A. Seek starts with an S. And knock starts with a K. That's A-S-K. <laughs> That's just neat. Uh, verse 8 says, For every one that, that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now again, these are all promises. These are lead pipe cinch promises. Verse 9 says, Or what man is there, and this is the motivation behind it, what man is there whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. Bottom line is, he's, he's our father. And because he's our father, he wants to help us. And because he's our father, he wants to give us good gifts. You know, the Bible says over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, it says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, in the Gospels, that's not recorded. But Paul records and says that the Lord Jesus is the one who said that. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
And you know, you, if you think about it, that's really true. Um, in at, at Christmas time and at birthdays, uh, you know, one of the things that that I'm going to really, 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 really miss by the Dunbars being up in Massachusetts is uh, I got three grandkids that I've spent the last seven Christmases with. No, actually, more than that, probably eight or nine or something, ten, something like that. Uh, we've we. My wife will tell me how many. You don't know. Okay. The one time I need you, you fall through. What can I tell? You? <laughs> but uh, but I know it's been a bunch of them. Uh, this next Christmas, uh, they'll probably not be around. Uh, you know you know why I enjoy having them around because I like to give them gifts. I don't know who gets the biggest kick out of the whole deal, them or me. I think I do. <laughs> I really do. And uh, you think about that. You say, Mo, I, I like it when God provides for me. Not as much as he likes it. He enjoys giving to you more than you even enjoy receiving it. That's just his character. And, and when we claim a promise and he fulfills it, be careful. Be careful. Because we need to constantly remember who it is that gave us the blessing. You know, uh, one thing, I've, and I've focused on this over the last year, I've become very, very careful. Uh, I, I always appreciate the prayers of God's people. I always do. Uh, but we've got to be so very careful that we become more thankful to those who pray than we become to the one who answered their prayers. And we need to make a bigger deal about the one who answered their prayers. Now, I'm not saying don't be thankful to those who pray. You ought to be. But understand, if they didn't have a reliable God, they didn't have a perfect God, they didn't have a holy God to pray to, it wouldn't make any difference what they said. And so we need to, and in the same way with the blessings of God, when we see His promises fulfilled, be careful. In fact, this is what, what God told uh, Israel before they went into the promised land. He said, be careful, in, in so many words, he said, you're going to start enjoying the blessings more than the blesser. And we need to remember when, when we see the fulfilled promises that, the, that it's, it's the one who gave us the blessing that is greater than even the blessing that we received. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7. Second Samuel 7, look in verses 24 through 26. Second Samuel 7, 24 through 26. It says, For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house Establish it forever and do as thou hast said. This is David speaking. And he says in verse 26, And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. Now God fulfilled that promise. And, and the, 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 but the purpose of, of magnifying and preserving Israel 
was not so that Israel could be magnified and strengthened. It was so God could be magnified. And that's exactly what he says in the end of verse, verse 26. Uh, or in, in verse 26, it says, And let the name, thy name, be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. When we see him fulfill our promises for us, we need to make sure that we magnify his name. Because that's one of the, that's one of the purposes that, that he has in, in, in fulfilling promises and being as good as his word so that he might be magnified. Now, in closing this morning, I, I want us to look at just some, some basic principles, just three of them, three basic principles that concern the promises of God. First of all, go to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, and look down in verse 14. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14. And behold, Joshua is speaking, behold this day, I am going the way... Of, of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Now what he's talking about is the promises that God made before they went into the promised land. And he said, understand that not one thing failed. Not one thing failed. Now, it, it's interesting to note that in the next chapter, and I believe it's, it's largely because of that principle, Joshua made a commitment. Look down, if you would, in chapter 24, look down at verse 15. It says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that are, were on the uh, side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, can I tell you, I think one of the reasons why he made that commitment, made that statement, made that stand, and did it publicly, was because he saw God fulfill all of the promises. And he said, listen, this is a God who, who deserves my all. This is a God who deserves my house. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, what the principle is, is that God has fulfilled every promise He's ever made to anybody. I don't care who you are. If He's made a promise, it will come true. And that, the fact that He has done that, I'm here to tell you, honestly, and I, you know, I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher, okay, and because I'm behind the pulpit. My God's never failed me. Never. I mean, not. now, have I failed him? Over and over and over again. But my God has never failed. My God has never backed down on a promise that he's made. Uh, in fact, I've, I've, I've stood often in amazement and, and looked at, at what God has done and how, ha, how God has 
taking care of me and of my family and, and fulfilled his promises over and over and over and over again because he is true. If he has made a promise, he will fulfill every promise that he's made. And what that should do to us is that should cause us to do the same thing that Joshua did, is commit ourselves to him. Say, you're worthy of everything in me. You're worthy of my thoughts. You're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my words. You're worthy of, 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 uh, of my actions. You're worthy of my life. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and again, the, the purpose of him fulfilling all of those promises is so that we can lift him up and we can magnify him. A second, second principle. Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. In Romans 4, God's talking about the importance of faith and how that we were saved by faith and we're not saved by works. And he uses in the Old Testament an example of Abraham. And in verses 20 and 21 in Romans chapter 4, Speaking of Abraham, it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had pr promised, he was able also to perform. Well, that's because God promised Abraham a seed. And at, at 100 years old, he had Isaac. Now that's... That's not supposed to happen, okay? I mean, that just, that just isn't supposed to happen. And uh, uh, at, at, at an old age, both uh, Abraham and Sarah had, had a baby boy, and his name was Isaac. Uh, the Bible says that he, he believed God, and he believed God so strongly that he staggered not at his promise. It says being fully persuaded. So what that means is we, we need to, to believe in God's ability to do all that He promised. What faith really is, is just believing that God is as good as His Word, and if He says He'll do something for us, He will do it. But we need to be fully persuaded. If, if you're here this morning, and you don't know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, you're not absolutely positive of that fact. God says if you'll just come to him, believe that you're a sinner, believe that because of your sins you deserve to die and go to hell, believe that, that he loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross, make the full payment for your sin. Though he never sinned himself, he paid for all of your sin. Died on the cross, and three days later rose again and got victory over death, hell, and sin, and the grave, and... and uh, purchased for us eternal life. If you will trust Him as Savior, every person that's ever done that has instantaneously become saved and the burden of sin has been removed. What a blessing. What a blessing. But, but we've got to believe in God's ability to do what He promised. Now, here's, here's, where, we, here's where we mess up. Here's where I mess up. <laughs> okay? Here's, I, here's confession time. This is where I mess up. Do you believe God 
can. Oh, absolutely. I don't believe there's anything God can't do. Do you believe God will? Mm. Well, you know what? I realize that God cannot force someone, anyone, to make a decision anymore. I mean, he could, but he doesn't, okay? He doesn't make people get saved. He gives them opportunities. He brings them to positions in life where they see that they have their need. He shows them clearly their need, but he doesn't he can grab somebody by the back of the neck and say, okay, you're going to get saved. That just that isn't the way it works. But do you believe God will convict hearts? Do you believe God will fulfill his promises? You say, well, I believe he can. That's not enough. That's not enough. We've got to come to God and believe that he will. And then the, the last, the last uh, principle about God's promises, go to Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and verses 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. In other words, far beyond what you would ask, far beyond what you think God can do, He can do that and more. According to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We limit our, our requests because we have a limited view of God. If we have an unlimited view of God, then the sky's the limit. In fact, the sky isn't even the limit. It goes beyond that. Uh, but if you have a limited view of God, it will, it will limit your requests. It'll also limit your efforts. Uh, our unbelief limits God. You say, no, 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 nothing can limit God. Oh, no, you're wrong. Go with me over to Psalms 78. Psalm 78. And this is, this is the biggest problem that any of us have when it comes to the promises of God and it comes to, to a God working in our hearts and lives. Psalm 78, look in verse... Let's uh, see, go up to... Verse 39 says, "For this is talking about the, the Israel in the wilderness, and it says, for he remembered that they were but flesh. By the way, he remembers that about you too. <laughs> you're flesh. And, and, and he knows that you're flesh, and he knows that you falter. He knows you fail. He loves you anyway. A wind that passes away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert, Yea, they turned their back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I think that's one of the saddest phrases in all of Scripture. It says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, you know why they did? Unbelief. Unbelief. Because of their unbelief, they limited God. Let me ask you. Are there things that God would like to do for you? Are there things that God would like to do through you? But he can't do it. 
And it's not because he's not powerful, and it's not because he is limited by his abilities. The Bible says because of their unbelief, they limited God. Is there anything in your heart, anything in your faith, anything in your life that's causing God to put a limit on what he would do for you? You know, I've told you this before, and I'm going to say it again. I don't like to miss out on anything. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do, I'm just, that's the way I'm made, okay? Uh, I, like, I like, you know, if, 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 uh, if uh, that's why I like going to buffets, because I don't miss out on anything. You know, I have a little of this, a little of that. I mean, I just, I like, I, I like to get all that I can get. I don't mean it in a greedy way, but, uh, you know, if something's going on, man, I like to know about it, and I like to go there, and I why, well, then how does that relate to God? Well, if God's got a blessing for me, I don't want to miss it. But you know what? Our sin and our unbelief limit God. I think oftentimes, you know, we go to God and we say, well, God, you didn't fulfill that promise. You promised this. You promised that. And it didn't come true. I know, I know for a fact it had nothing to do with God and it had everything to do with you. God is not limited by his own character. God is not limited at all by his own power. But he is limited by our sin. And he's limited by our unbelief. We, we serve a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. You can trust him. Do you? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads bowed, nice closed. No one looking around. I want to ask you a question. Are you saved? Do you know for sure to, if you died today, you go to heaven? Are you absolutely positive because you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? That you're saved and on your way to heaven. If you know that for sure, I wonder if you just raise your hand as a testimony. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. How many of you be just as honest and say, you know, I couldn't raise my hand, and the reason why I couldn't is because I don't know that for sure, and it bothers me. Would you pray for me? Now, my prayer can't save you. Boy, I counted a privilege to be able to pray for you. Anyone like that here this morning saying, Pastor, here's my hand. I don't know for sure. I know I, I, know I need to. Would you please pray for me? Anyone like that? All right, you're here this morning. And I, I've just got one question for you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Is there anything in your life, anything in your lack of faith that is limiting God in your life? He's a promise-making, promise-keeping, faithful, true God that cannot lie. But is our unbelief and it is our sin limiting him. Father, I pray that you would take the words of God and really work them in our hearts and do a work that no preacher can do behind the pulpit. No individual can do to another individual's heart, but you can. And I pray for those that might be here this morning. In fact, Lord, I, there are some folks that are here this morning that 
don't know for sure if they die today, they go to heaven. They've, they've not genuinely been born again. They might have gone through some religious rituals and might have done some, some, some formalities, but in their heart of hearts, they know they're not saved. God, I pray that you'd work on their hearts. Now, Lord, I know you will. The truth is, though, the decision is up to them as to whether or not they'll respond. And Father, they'll respond one way or the other. They'll either accept you or they will reject you today. That is being this is their last opportunity, but it is the last opportunity they have right now. So God, I pray that you work on their hearts. I pray for those that might be here that, Lord, uh, our lack of faith limits you. Our, the sin in our life limits you. God, I pray that we would get those things taken care of this morning and realize that we've got a God we can trust. We can, we've got a God who cares for us and loves us. And Lord, you've proved yourself over and over and over again. Work in this invitation, work in our hearts, and we'll give you the honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.